0: Amen. God, we thank you for what you've done for us by sending Jesus to die for our sins. And we praise you that he rose again and we have hope in Jesus. We give you all the glory, all the honor. We are here for you, Lord. And we pray that you would be glorified by our worship today and our praise in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. 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 Go ahead and grab your seats. Thanks for worshiping with us today. We're so pumped to be together on Easter Sunday. And we're across the valley right now in Mesa, at South Mountain, at Fountain Hills, and online. People joining us around the country. Welcome to church today. We're grateful that we get to be together worshiping our risen Savior. What a great day to celebrate Jesus. Amen. Amen. And many of you are new. Some of you are guests today. You're not as familiar with the church. I want you to understand what we're all about. We exist so that people far from God can experience new life in Jesus. And I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say some of you might be far from God right now and I want you to know we're here to help you find him and have a real relationship with With him. And if you're already a Christian, but you'd say, My life doesn't exactly look like the better, fuller life to the full that Jesus offers, we want to help you to experience that. And we'll go on this journey with you and walk by your side. Uh, So if you need a church family, uh, we would love to have you be a part of ours. If you don't already have one, come on in. The water's warm. Uh, So, church family, can you help me welcome all of our guests today? Amen. Hey, one thing that we're going to do a little different today is we're going to do our annual Easter survey. So grab this paper that was on your chair when you came in, uh, and there's one on every seat. There's also pins in all the seat back pockets. I know, ladies, you probably have 500 pins in your purses. You're always ready. Uh, The reason we're doing this today is because this is the one day of the year that everyone in the church comes. So it's a great day, and uh, I would really appreciate if you would just hold this thing in your hand. Just humor me. Even if you're not going to fill it out, just be like, "Uh, okay. Uh, But if you're a guest on the front here, there's a spot for your information so that we can follow up with you and help you. We won't spam you. Nobody wants that, but we will help you. There's a spot for prayer requests. So if you have any prayer requests, Fill that out and we will hold these cards by hand and pray for you by name. That would be our honor to do that and pray for you. Uh, So also if this is your church family but you don't get the regular updates we send out via email uh, and you don't really know what's going on, please update your contact information. Uh, so that we can keep you in the loop. And then on the back, this would be really helpful. You can actually help us to lead uh, and minister more effectively. First, there's a spot where you can indicate what subjects you think people are struggling with most, what kind of sermons do you want to hear about. Uh, That'll help me to preach in a way that's actually helpful for you. Then there's a spot that says, hey, if you want to take your next spiritual step, uh, let us know what it is, whether that's being baptized to profess your faith publicly. If you want to go to G101 and learn how to serve and be a part of the team, you can indicate that. If you need help getting connected to a life group, you're like, I still need Christian friends in my life, we'll help you with that. Let us know what campus you go to. We have people at Mesa today, at South Mountain, at Fountain Hills, or online, which, by the way, online, you can find this survey. The link is in the chat or it's on our app on the homepage. Just find the Easter survey on the app. Uh, And then let us know where you would like to see the next generation church campus. We're growing and we're reaching people all over the valley and we're praying for God's opportunities that he would open the door and people are always messaging me like, come to the West Valley, come to Santan Valley, right? So we're praying about that, but let us know where you'd like to see the next campus. Then there are some multiple choices at the bottom that I'll come back to in just a moment. I want to let you know that next week I'm starting a new sermon series on prayer. I want to ask you this. How would you pray? What would you pray if you knew it would actually make a difference? I think we know we're supposed to pray as Christians, but a lot of times we don't do it that much because... It seems overwhelming or intimidating, and I want to help you with it and show you how to pray and that it's not as hard as you might think it is. So come back next week. Hey, listen, a lot of pastors don't preach the week after Easter. They they skip it because a lot of you skip it, but I'm going to be here, so I want you to be here with me. Come back. All right, I'm going to jump into the sermon here. Luke 24. It says, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. These were the original Spice Girls. (laughs) They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. These were angels. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked... Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Praise God. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Jesus told him exactly what was going to happen, that he would die and rise again, and that is what happened. He died, but he is alive. How many of you are glad Jesus is alive? That's what separates us from every other religion in the world. We serve a risen Savior, not an idol. We don't worship a pagan god or a false god of our imagination. We don't serve or worship a martyr. We have a living king who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, (laughs) Jesus. And this is the most amazing event in the history of the world, the resurrection of Jesus And it has great implications for our lives. And so I want to talk about those today, how it affects you. And if you're a Christian, this is good news. This is all the benefits you get because Jesus is alive. If you're not yet a Christian, I I think you're going to become one. That's why God brought you here today. He has a plan for your life. And I want you to know what you've been missing out on and what you have to look forward to. So here's the first thing. Because Jesus rose, you're no longer guilty. The weight of sin is heavy, isn't it? And the guilt that we feel when we've done something wrong. I remember as a little kid, I got caught stealing from a store. I remember as a teenager, a friend showed me pornography. I remember as an adult, losing my temper and embarrassing myself. And the weight of the guilt of sin is heavy. And it can stick with you and follow you for years or even decades, even a lifetime. The guilt that you feel over past sins and mistakes now we all know that we're guilty of sin we know we've all sinned deep down but a lot of people they don't want to face that fact so rather than humble themselves in repentance they pridefully rebel against God some even march in pride parades to celebrate the sin that grieves God we know that guilt is real and the only way to be free from guilt is is to trust in Jesus. That is why he had to die on the cross. It wasn't Pilate or Herod or the Romans or the Pharisees that put Jesus on the cross. It was God. God put Jesus on the cross because of us. Listen to this prophecy that was written 700 years before Christ was born in Isaiah 53. It says, all of us like sheep Have strayed away, we have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him, talking about Jesus prophetically, who would come. The sins of us all, my sins and your sins. But look, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him to suffer. So, what this means is that God loves you enough that he was willing to put his only son on the cross in your place. And he knew he would have to do this to redeem us before he even created us and he went forward with the plan anyway, and that's why Jesus suffered. He was beaten mercilessly. He had a crown of thorns jammed onto his head. He was mocked and spit on and forced to carry his own cross to the place of his execution. Then he had nails actually driven through his hands and his feet, pinning him to a cross, and was lifted up next to criminals, even though he was innocent. Eventually, a spear was shoved up through his ribcage, piercing his heart, and he died. Why did this happen? It says in Romans four that he was delivered over to death for our sins, and was raised to life for our justification. So what that means is, is sin is a really big deal. It, it's so bad that God could pay it alone, only God. So Jesus, he was like the check that God wrote to pay for your debt. Have you ever had someone write a bad check? Or maybe they wrote you a check and they said, "Mm, don't cash this till Tuesday. (laughs) I remember one time in the early days of the internet, I was selling something on eBay, and I got an email uh, that someone wanted to buy what I was selling. Uh, So then I got this check in the mail from this really nice Nigerian prince, and he was like... (laughs) Oops, I sent you more money than I was supposed to. No problem. I just need you to cash the check and then just just send me back the difference. And fortunately, at 18 years old, I was dumb, but I just wasn't that dumb. I knew that this check, even though it looked real and it felt real, it wasn't backed by anything that was real. It was a bad check. And I want you to know that the devil is a liar and he writes a lot of bad checks too. He makes promises that he cannot keep. He promises to satisfy you with sin and sex and power and more money. He promises that other religions also lead to salvation. But he is a liar and he can't keep his promise. Yet Jesus... His death on the cross, it was the payment for your sin. And when he rose again, it proved that the check to pay your debt had cleared. Now you're redeemed, you're guilt free, and you're righteous in God's sight. That's what it means to be justified. You're right with God, even though we still sin sometimes. That's just the truth. God no longer sees us as sinners, he sees us as saints. Did you know you were a saint? That means sanctified. It means set apart. It means that you're set apart from the rest of the world and you're holy and righteous in God's sight. Not because of what you do, but because of the perfect life Jesus lived. Praise God. Second, because Jesus rose, you're free from the power of sin. So you've probably heard someone do something wrong and they said, the devil made me do it. I remember Bart Simpson saying that one time. Uh, It's just an excuse but in real life, we do have a sinful nature that we're born with that makes us sin. We're actually slaves to sin. And many of you remember a time before Jesus when you were trapped in sin, and you wanted to start doing the right things, but you kept doing the wrong things, and, and you couldn't stop sinning because you were actually a slave. There, there are even some of you at church today where you live here in America, in the land of the free, and the home of the brave, praise God, but you're still a spiritual slave to sin. And the only one who can set you free is Jesus. In Romans 6, it says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. So when you put your faith in Christ, it's like you were being nailed to the cross with him. And the old sinner you is still nailed to that cross. He's dead. He's gone. The sinner Ryan is gone. In Colossians 2 it says, but you were buried with Christ when you were baptized and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So the old sinner you who couldn't stop sinning, that guy was nailed to the cross and buried in the tomb with Christ. A funeral was held for sinner you, that guy's gone. So, And that's the mysterious spiritual truth of baptism when you're baptized in water it's like a mysterious spiritual unification with jesus and as you go down under those waters it's like you're being buried with jesus in his tomb a funeral is held and goodbye and then as you come up up out of the waters it's like you're being raised to new life with christ as he came out of the tomb now you're a new creation in christ and the new you doesn't have to sin anymore. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're a child of God. On that note, some of you might be here at a church today online watching. Maybe you've already become a Christian, but you've never been baptized in water. And there are a lot of people in that boat um, for different reasons. Uh, let Let me say this. If you were baptized as a baby by your parents, that's cute, but it doesn't count. Because the Bible says believe and be baptized. That's the order it's supposed to happen in. And you can't believe as a baby. Your parents can't believe for you. You have to put your faith in Jesus and then get baptized of your own free will. Also, if you were baptized into some false religion like Mormonism, that definitely doesn't count. You need to believe in the real Jesus and then be baptized in water. And if you've been putting it off, because I know a lot of Christians, they think of baptism as like the Christian graduation ceremony. And that's not it. That's when we get to heaven. (laughs) Baptism is like the spiritual starting line. And some of you are like, well, I haven't done it because I don't really understand it. You don't even need to understand it fully. You just need to know that Jesus said to do it. So stop putting it off and do it. The next opportunity is May 8th. Shameless plug. And here's number three. Because Jesus rose, you don't have to fear hell. About 40% of Americans in one survey said they don't believe in hell. And I've heard people say, I don't really want to believe in a God that would send people to hell. And I want to tell them, you know, it doesn't really affect God whether or not you believe in him. He's not like Tinkerbell. But it will affect you based on your choice to believe in him or not. It could affect you for all eternity. And so any spiritual leader or guru or even pastor who says that hell isn't a real place is a liar, liar, going to have his pants on fire. <laughs> there are three subjects Jesus actually taught about more than any other. Heaven, hell, and money. Guess which one people like to hear about, right? Right? <laughs> Heaven is real, but hell is also real. The truth is it's a real physical place with fire and pain and suffering and loneliness and darkness. It was originally created for the devil and his demons. That's why it's so terrible, but it was expanded to make room for all the people who would choose to reject Jesus and pay the price for their own sins rather than let Jesus pay it for them. It's a place where those who are there are eternally separated from God. Some people go their whole lives telling God, leave me alone. And hell is the place where God finally gives them what they asked for. So that means there's no love there, no peace, no joy, and no hope, and there never will be. It's a scary, scary place. And maybe you're thinking, like, you're just trying to scare me. Yeah. But the good news is you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to. In Revelation 1, Jesus said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. What this looks like is God put Jesus through hell so you wouldn't have to go there. Yet here's the tragic reality most people on earth will choose to go to hell. In fact, there are people at church right now who are currently on the path to hell. In Matthew 7, it says, the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. Look at this. Everyone in hell chose to be there. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Well, praise God, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you found the narrow gate to life, and you don't have to fear hell. But some of you, if you died unexpectedly tonight, unless something changes, you would open your eyes surrounded by the fire of hell. But it doesn't have to be that way. That's why it says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you don't want to go to hell, believe in Jesus to save you and trust in him. Believing in him is like believing in a parachute to save you when you jump out of a plane. Uh, going through life is still kind of scary, but you trust that when it comes down to it, Jesus is going to save your soul. He holds the keys of death and Hades, and by his authority, heaven is your home. That means for every one of you who believe in Jesus, this earth With all of its pain and suffering and sickness and war and death, it is the closest to hell you will ever get. And here in Arizona, we get a little closer than some other people do. (laughs) Four, because Jesus rose, your faith is legit. Too legit to quit. Let's be honest. Okay, every one of us have had a moment of doubt where you've gone, okay, well, how do I know this is real? What if it's not? What if I die and there's nothing? What if I'm wrong? Because after all, there's all kinds of religions in this world and they all think they're right. How do we know we're right and not everyone else? What if God doesn't come through for me? I want to help you with this. If you have had a crisis of faith like that, or maybe you're having one right now, uh, you're not alone. And so I don't want you to feel condemned by that. But go back to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're having a crisis of faith and you're doubting, go back. Always go back to the resurrection of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles will be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. I love this. And that's why the resurrection of Jesus, it is the cornerstone of our faith, friends. And it's what separates us from every other religion in the history of the world. Jesus actually died and actually rose again. No other religious leader can claim that. Muhammad died and stayed dead. Joseph Smith died and stayed dead. The Buddha died and stayed dead. What does that mean? It means Muslims are wrong. Mormons are wrong. Hindus are wrong. Buddhists are wrong. Pagans are wrong. And atheists are wrong. We're right because Jesus rose again. And uh, I've over the years have had people say, oh, Pastor Ryan, I don't really like it when you talk bad about other religions. And I told them, Well, then this isn't the church for you because I'm not planning to stop anytime soon. And I love talking trash about other religions on Easter. Because all other religions are lies from hell that lead people back to hell. Jesus died and rose again, which he said he would do, proving that you can believe the other things he said. Like in John 14, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. A lot of people think, well, there are many ways to God, and I think all religions are just kind of like one form of different, different ways to, to like find your way to the same God, and it'll all work out in the end. No, Jesus said he's the only way, and because he died and rose again, we can believe the other things he said. He keeps his word. All the other religious founders claimed that they were special. Jesus is the only one who claims he was God. And that's what sets him apart. When he rose, he proved it. And from this foundation, we can build the rest of our faith. Well, some of you might be like, well, how do I really know Jesus actually rose from the dead? Or maybe you're a Christian, and you've kind of thought that before. Like, well, how do we know he really rose? I wasn't there. So how do we know? Well, like a lot of things, you look at the evidence. There's a lot of things, I believe, because of evidence and eyewitness and expert testimony. And it's the same with the resurrection of Jesus. It doesn't take blind faith to believe in Jesus. It actually only takes a little bit of faith. Like a little bit of mustard mustard seed faith. It takes more faith to not believe in him. Like this, we know he was buried in a known location, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, which was legal property registered in his name. So people, when they heard he had risen, they could go and see that tomb for themselves and that it was empty. uh, There was no body there. We know that his tomb was never enshrined as a holy site. This was the common practice in that day, and archaeologists have found over 50 enshrined holy sites where religious leaders died, their tombs were enshrined as a holy place, and people would come to their tomb, and they would pray or they would worship. Uh, But Jesus' tomb was never enshrined. In fact, we're not even 100% sure where his tomb was. We think we know, but we're not really sure because back in that day, no one really cared because he wasn't there anymore. Then we know that the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection were women. Uh, and this is really cool. Um, a lot of people will say Christianity oppresses women, which is the furthest thing from the truth. Everywhere Christianity spreads, women are elevated and their value and their, uh, their worth is, is elevated as well as for children and other oppressed people groups. Back in Jesus' day, women were treated like second-class citizens And their word, their testimony, wasn't even admissible in the court of law. So if you were going to make up a religion, if you were going to make up a story about Jesus rising, you wouldn't have used women as your first eyewitnesses. But that's what the Bible said, that women saw him first. Why? Because they actually did. And they're just telling you what happened. Then we know that Jesus appeared to over 500 people at once. Uh, Doctors say that even if all 500 of these people had been on an acid trip or doing shrooms, they wouldn't have had the exact same hallucination. And then they had no reason to conspire and make up this story because they didn't get anything for it except for persecution. Persecution. We look at stories like Saul of Tarsus, who he was recorded historically as persecuting Christians and hunting them down and trying to kill them. All of a sudden, he completely changed. He was renamed to Paul, and then he spent the rest of his life preaching the gospel of the resurrected Jesus until he was finally killed for it. What changed? He said he encountered the risen Savior himself. And then there are the 12 disciples, uh, 11 of them after Judas They all spent the rest of their lives preaching that Jesus had risen. Some people will say, well, maybe they stole the body and made it all up. Why would they make that story up? I think most of us have probably lied at one point or another. Yes? Or just me? Okay. (laughs) Well, when you lie, it's usually to benefit yourself, isn't it? Or to get yourself out of trouble. These guys, they spent their whole lives being persecuted, imprisoned, impoverished, tortured, and ultimately executed for their faith in Jesus. And they never changed their story, even when changing their story would have saved their life. But they couldn't change the story because they couldn't change the truth. Jesus had really risen. So now here we are 2,000 years later. More songs have been sung about him, more paintings have been painted of him, more books have been written about him. In fact, the Bible is the best-selling book in history. More people follow him, and we're on the other side of the planet celebrating Jesus along with millions and billions of people today because Jesus is actually alive. Because Jesus rose, you're never alone. We know that loneliness is terrible, and when you're isolated, it makes you vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. Like if you've ever seen a wildlife documentary, which gazelle always gets eaten by the lion? It's the one off separated from the herd by himself. And, And in real life, when you're lonely, when you're alone, it makes you vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. So if you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus, you're on your own. I'm sorry. But Christians are never alone. We have a constant companion in the living God. One of the last things Jesus said before he went back to heaven was he said in Matthew 28, Be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I love that verse. It's so comforting. He's not physically here right now, as far as I know. But he sent his Holy Spirit, who is also God, to be here with us. And the Holy Spirit of God lives inside everyone who believes. So in all of our campuses right now, if you believe in Jesus, just raise your hand so I know who you are. Okay, you get the Holy Spirit. You get the Holy Spirit. You get. We all get the Holy Spirit! (laughs) Praise God. That means you have a constant companion who's always with you, always leading you, guiding you, teaching you, helping you, strengthening you, comforting you. He's always with you. He's always near. But then wait there's more. You also get a spiritual family. So even if your own earthly family might forsake you or let you down, you have a spiritual family through Jesus that will never kick you out or cancel you. Always standing by your side. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body, By one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So, what this means is that Christians have a unity that the rest of the world could never experience. Rather uh, than trying to pretend to fight for diversity like the rest of the world, and and they they always pursue diversity, but they never actually get unity. Like we have. We are unified. Even though we come from different backgrounds, ethnicities, we have different skin color, we make different amounts of money, we have different education levels. Uh, We all come from different places, but we all share the same Spirit of God which makes us part of the body of Christ. Another thing, another way of saying the church. We're all part of the the church. We all have the same spirit, which makes us all children of God. Isn't that crazy? So that means we're all family. Those of us who believe in Jesus, we're actually a family who will be together for eternity. Which is why in 1 Peter 3, it says, Love each other as brothers and sisters. I think we need to bring that back in the church world. Like in my my dad's generation, my grandpa's generation at church, people would call each other brother and sister. Good to see you, brother. Well, good to see you, sister, right? I think if we did that today, maybe Christians wouldn't be fighting with each other as much as they do on the internet, right? We are family, brothers and sisters. We're not alone. And then six, because Jesus rose, you don't have to give up. When Jesus died and was sealed in that tomb, it definitely looked like defeat. The disciples went home, the devil rejoiced, and it looked like the end. But it wasn't over. It's not over until God says it's over, right? Three days later, Jesus came out of that tomb. Just like he said he would, he rose. This was the ultimate comeback, which shows us that no matter what is going on in your life right now, no matter how bad things look, You can trust God. You can hold on to hope. You don't have to give up. If God said it, he'll do it. He keeps his promises. We just sang a song at the beginning of service, and one of the lines was, I believe there's about to be another resurrection. And somebody asked me last week, actually, what does that mean? I told him, it means God is still in the resurrecting business. That means there's always hope. Even when things look dead, there's still hope because we serve a resurrecting God. Some of you have kids who are far from God and it's a burden to you. You've been praying for them and you're about to give up. Don't give up, keep praying. Some of you have a marriage that's on the brink of divorce. It's not over. Some of you have a sickness that can't be cured. Our God is greater. Some of you have a depression, and you're even considering suicide, ending your life. That seems like a way out. You don't have to give up. God has joy everlasting for you. Maybe you have a dream that's died, right? I believe there's about to be another resurrection. God is still saving and still healing and still restoring. So don't give up. It says in Proverbs 24, for the righteous man falls seven times and rises again. We all experience setbacks and failures. We all fall at times. But with God's help, we don't have to give up. We get up because Jesus got up, and the same spirit that raised him from the dead lives in you. So you don't have to give up. Seven. You ready for this, church? Because Jesus rose, you have a purpose. Most people are wandering through life aimlessly, just kind of wondering, like, what's the point of my life? Like, why am I here? But as Christians, we know our purpose. In 1646, a bunch of Christians got together to answer this question. Uh, What is the chief end of man? Which is a way of asking, what's our purpose? What's the point of mankind? And the answer they came up with was, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So your purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. How do you glorify him? You glorify him by doing what he told you to do. So what is that? Okay, well, we have a general purpose and a specific purpose, all of us. Our general purpose was established by Jesus Christ. In Matthew 28, he said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. There's that baptism thing again, by the way. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. I know some people, they get irritated with me at church because I'm preaching sermons all the time. I'm trying to get them to like do stuff for Jesus. Like, why are you always trying to get me to do stuff? Like, well, because obeying Jesus' commands glorifies God. That's your purpose. I'm trying to to help you live. Uh, And then there are a lot of Christians that don't want to do that. They want God to help them and fix their problems, but they don't want to obey him and follow in his ways. But when you follow in his ways, it leads to the fullness of life. Faith that doesn't act falls flat. Faith without works is dead. So hear me on this. You might have checked Christian on a census, but if there's no fruit of life in your life, if, if there's, there's no way you look different than everyone else around you, like you still do the same things and say the same things and act the same way, maybe you don't actually have a real relationship with Jesus yet. I don't know. I can't judge your heart. Only you know your heart. Only God knows your heart. But do you have a real relationship? Because real relationship with Jesus results in a changed life. And then there are some of you, you're real Christians, but you know you're not actually serving the Lord. If you're not, you're not fulfilling your purpose, which is to glorify God. So I want to help you to do that. Then you have a special purpose, each and every one of you, individually at Fountain Hill, South Mountain, online, in Mesa, you have a special, specific purpose for your life. That's why God made you good at some things. And he gave you talent and passion for certain things. And that's why it's okay if you're not good at everything. Praise God. Some of you are good at leading, music, working with kids, Teaching, administration, giving, serving, encouraging, all these gifts come from God. And he gave them to you to be a part of the body of Christ. It says in Romans 12, just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Okay, so we all play a part. The hands and the feet, the eyes and the knees, the noses, right? We all come together as one body. That's another way of saying the church, remember? And we all function together as a team. That means we actually need each other. We need each other to fulfill our purpose and live a healthy life that God has called us to. And so this means there's a lot of people today who will say things like this. They'll say, I don't need a church to be a Christian, and that's not true. You, here's what's true. You don't need a church to get saved because we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone, not by works. So you could get saved by yourself on a desert island, and I hope you never end up on a desert island, but you don't need a church to get saved. You do need a church to be a Christ follower. And actually do the things Christ told us to do, like love one another, serve one another, help one another, encourage one another, forgive one another, greet one another, like and on and on and on, uh, many, many commands. You can't love one another when there is no other. That's why you need to be a part of a church family. And when you withhold your gifts from the body of Christ, you're robbing the body of Christ of what God gave you, the gifts he gave you to benefit them, right? And you'll also miss out on the benefits of being a part of the body of Christ. So be a part of a church family so that you can fulfill your purpose. How do you enjoy God? You enjoy him by walking in relationship with him. So we don't just serve him, we also get to know him. As a friend, and in his presence, his fullness of joy, Jesus said in John 15, Now you are my friends. You actually get to be friends with God. Jesus is the friend you've always wanted. He is faithful, and he's fun. He's actually hilarious when you read the Bible. He's strong, and he's gentle. He's wise, and he's understanding. Other people will let you down. Other friends may abandon you. But Jesus will always have your back. He's the friend that always comes through for us. And he gives us a love. He offers a friendship that can't be broken. And lastly, eight, because Jesus rose, you will rise. You will rise. Death is inevitable. And in the last couple of years, we saw highlighted how scared people are of dying. And how far they'll go. To avoid it, they're scared of death, but you cannot avoid it forever. The question is, will you be ready when it comes? Those who are not ready will die twice. Scripture says the first death is physical. The second death is when the soul is thrown into the lake of fire for eternity. Those who are ready for death will die once, and then they'll eventually rise again and live forevermore. That's what we want. It's still hard to lose loved ones. Death is still tragic, but even in death for Christians, there's hope. In John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die do you believe this? And he's asking you today, do you believe this? Because your body is going to age and with enough time or maybe unexpectedly, you will die. But for Christians, that's not the end. And we have hope. In Romans 6, it says, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. So Jesus, when he rose from the grave, that wasn't just a one-time event that we're still celebrating, but he was the first fruits of a greater harvest of resurrection that will come in the future when Jesus comes again. Yes. The way that he rose, you will rise. So I'm about to tell you your future. How would you like to hear about your future? I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen to you in the future. And I 100% guarantee this is accurate. Okay. 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. That's your future. That's what you have to look forward to. Death is not the end for you. And the good news is that for those of you who believe in Christ Jesus, that's most of us worshiping here today, you're forgiven of sin. You become a child of God. You have a purpose for your life. You don't have to fear death or hell. Heaven is your home, and you will live everlasting. Aren't you grateful for this? This is the gospel. This is the good news. But listen, the good news is only good for those who respond to it rightly. Many people respond to it by rejecting it, but if you actually receive it and receive Jesus, then it's also good news for you. And now here's where I want to give us an opportunity to respond. I want to do it a little different today. So grab your survey again, grab that paper. And there were those four choices along the bottom. I'm just going to have everyone at Mesa, Chapel Services, South Mountain, Fountain Hills, online. Just grab these. Uh, hold it in your hand. Again, just humor me. Just humor me. Thank you. Just pre- you can pretend you're going to do it. Just, uh, just grab this. Now, there are four choices. I'm going to tell you what these letters represent. And I'm going to ask every single person to make a choice right now. This is actually to help you know exactly where you stand with God. Okay, so A, if you want to check A, that's saying I'm already in a relationship with Jesus. Not your grandma, not your mom, but you are already in a relationship with Jesus. And you're like, I know that I know I'm saved, I'm forgiven, and I'm going to heaven. Okay, now B is for those of you who say, I want to begin a real relationship with Jesus. You hear us talking today and celebrating, and he's like, I want all these benefits that come from being a Christian. I want to be forgiven. I want to have a purpose. I want to have family. I want to be close to God. I don't want to have to live in fear of death or hell anymore. I want to know I'm going to heaven when I die, hopefully a long time from now. I'm ready to begin a real relationship with Jesus. Check B. And then C is for those of you who would say, I need to consider it more first. That's okay. I appreciate your honesty. Uh, maybe you still have a lot of questions and you're uncertain. And you just like, I still, I still need to consider it more. Um, the cool thing about Christianity is we actually in- encourage you to ask hard questions. Other, other religions, they'll, they'll say like, don't, don't ask all these questions. You just need to trust us. In Christianity, uh, because it's actually all true... We're like, yeah, go ahead, ask all the hard questions. Because the more you ask, the stronger your faith will get. But if you're in that boat, I need to consider it more force. First, check C. And then D, you say, I don't ever intend to make that decision. You're like, no thanks. I just came to church today, so my wife would stop nagging me. Not interested. I appreciate your honesty. Just go ahead and check D. It's just good to know where you stand. Now, I want to help those of you who checked B, to respond. It says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I want to help you to do that right now. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes at every campus, every location. And if you just selected B, I want to lead you in this prayer. And if you really mean this, then God will forgive your sins and Jesus will save you. The Holy Spirit will come live inside of you, and you'll become a new creation in Christ. So just pray this with me and say, God, I ask you to save me. I confess that I'm a sinner, and I need forgiveness. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins so I could be forgiven. And I believe Jesus rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. I thank you for loving me, now i ask you to lead me for the rest of my days in jesus name hey with our heads still bowed if you just prayed that prayer between you and god as a way of just responding and solidifying physically what happened inside of you spiritually just now i'm gonna ask you to be bold and just raise your hand up high between you and god just raise your hand awesome awesome thank you thank you thank you thank you great great at south mountain at fountain hills online great We praise God. Hey, church, let's stand to our feet. We are going to worship. We're going to celebrate. We have so much to be grateful for today, don't we? Come on. Let's worship the Lord today. Let's give him praise.